Welcome to Songs and Stories, the not-for-musicians-only music podcast. Hey there, welcome once again to Songs and Stories. I'm Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories episode number 71, part one of a two-part chat with singer-songwriter John Batdorf. Before we get started with that, I wanted to do a little uh, editorial correction, like you might see in the newspapers. In the last couple of Songs and Stories, we talked with Brad Collerick, and in part of that interview, we talked about his music licensing company called Deep Mix. When I was talking about it in the podcast, I actually kept calling it Deep Six. I linked it correctly in the podcast notes. It actually goes to deepmix.com, but I, I, I called it Deep Six in the audio, and the audio is already posted and spit out all over the internet. So that, that's what it says, and it's wrong. So my apologies to Brad. I think there was this old cheesy 80s horror film called Deep Six, and that title just stuck in my head. But uh, Brad, Brad's, Brad Collerick's licensing company is called Deep Mix. It's at deepmix.com. And if you missed the Brad interviews, I would recommend going back because it was a pretty interesting chat. And um, he played a couple of things, and I really like what he does. So those are the last couple of episodes of Songs and Stories. Today we're going to be talking with another Southern California-based singer-songwriter, John Batdorf. And I paired these two up um, together because they have not similar stories, but there's some similarities. Uh, John recorded as the duo Batdorf and Rowdy back in the 70s. And they did a few records together and were quite successful, did a lot of work, traveled a lot and played, um, kind of parted ways. And John kept recording, but for the last, I don't know, several years, he got involved with um, recording and singing for commercials and television, much like Brad did and um, kept writing his own songs, but really didn't do the the John Batdorf singer-songwriter-type projects until kind of recently. And as you learned in the interview with John, it was a, a combination of his, his established old fan base from the Batdorf and Rowdy days and the, uh, the advent of satellite radio that kind of got him thinking about recording under his own name again. So we'll, we'll let John tell you the story. Uh, one notable project I do want to mention, though, is he did a, a, a CD with James Lee Stanley a couple of years ago, a few years ago, called the All Wood and Stones Project, and it was uh, all acoustic renditions of Rolling Stone songs, so I'll link that in my podcast notes for this as well, because it's really a great listen. So let's get to uh, hearing a couple of things from John off a couple of CDs, and then we'll talk with him. Uh, first, let's hear Home Again, the title track off a CD from 2006, and I believe he's recording this actually with Mark Rowdy because they got back together to do some stuff on this. And then we're going to hear Will I Love You Forever off his latest CD, Old Man Dreamin'. So uh, here's a bit of John off a couple of CDs, and then we'll talk with him around my kitchen table.
Nice to meet you finally. Nice to meet you. Yeah. So you've had a busy week uh, weekend around here. So you played in, let's recap kind of what we were talking about earlier. So you played in Carmel last night in Newhouse Concert mm -hmm. Carmel Valley. Yeah. And so today you're playing Gilroy. I played Gilroy. You're playing Gilroy this afternoon, this evening, at yes. another Newhouse Concert series. Brand new house concert. First one, the guinea pig. It's okay. That's always fun. I've done that before. I have a friend in Aromas and she was, she wanted to do a house concert a few years ago and and I hadn't played one yet. And she goes, why don't you do my first one that way? If, if I screw up, you won't get mad <laughs> yeah. and you won't be nervous. And, of course, now she's doing them like one, two a month. And right. it's huge. And you can come back three years later. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, actually, she's actually doing a lot with me outside of that, too. So no, it's, it's great. Yeah. You're good. Actually, what I do, like, I tend to like interview people before they play her house. And we kind of like cross-promote each other three different ways, which works really well. Great. So, uh, I was reading your bio really quick. And so you... You had a contract in the late 70s, and you were a part of a duo. Yeah, actually, it was 1970, I said. Yeah. In December 1970 with Atlantic Records. Mm -hmm. uh, I was with a guy named Mark Rodney, uh -huh. and we had spent the summer in Las Vegas. I met him at a coffee club, a little coffee shop. I was playing there on the campus of UNLV, 
And he kept wanting to jam with me because I had all these songs. I didn't really want to jam with anybody. I wanted to be a solo. Yeah. And then we jammed, and it was something really kind of, you know, it's when somebody really makes what you're doing better, mm -hmm. you need to pay attention. Yeah, yeah, you find those. Yeah. And so we got really tight and went back to L.A., and uh, I called it the Beverly Hills Hotel because mm -hmm. I knew that's where Ahmed Erdogan stayed. Mm -hmm. He was the president of Atlantic Records. I had no idea if he was even there in town because he was from New York. And uh, he picked up, hmm. and I, I said who I was because I'd met him years ago with another band when we first uh, first came to LA. And uh, he said, "Well, come on over tomorrow." So we went over there and, and we played for him. Mm -hmm. And he signed us the next day. They had lawyers there and signed us, and nice. ended up going to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, to cut the first album, which wow. was great. Wow! So were you always LA based? No, I was I was born in Ohio okay. and came to uh, Los Angeles in 1967. Mm -hmm. I was 15 with a band mm -hmm. for the summer and never left. <laughs> You're still there. It's still, still there. Yes, I'm still there. So under that label, Madu, how long did that last? We Our last album was in 1975. We did a, our last so album. So more than a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, yeah we, we toured. Uh, gosh, we had some great tours uh, all those years. Cause we had three records out. Mm -hmm. And we were like a big FM band. Mm -hmm. We never had a hit. But that was back in the day when AM radio would play album cuts. Mm -hmm. uh, B. Mitchell Reed, who was a kind of a famous DJ from the, the early years, uh, worked on a station called KRLA in Los Angeles, and he would play you know five six minute songs mm -hmm. without blinking. And yeah. things have changed quite a bit. Way from back when a DJ could play what he or she he likes. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't worried about what the sponsor thought. He's yeah, just, yeah, that was great. But was, things have changed. Mm -hmm. Now that's kind of on the internet, but you got to kind of, it's there, but you got to kind of seek it out. Yeah, satellite radio. And satellite radio. Cool. And you've had some success with XM radio as well. Fantastic success with those yeah. guys. Yeah. Can you recap some of that too? Yeah, uh, I think it was in 2004. I worked on a TV show for seven years as a composer. Oh, I worked okay. on a show called Promised Land, mm -hmm. which came out in 1996. It was a spinoff of Touched by an Angel. With Gerald McCraney. Yeah, yeah, okay. It was a really cool show. It, right. it lasted three years. Mm -hmm. And I'd never done that kind of a gig before, and uh, it was really a hard, very hard job. It's the hardest I ever had to work because mm -hmm. you have really tight deadlines. The deadlines, I was going to say, the timelines you had to fight, you had to work under. Yeah, and you can't come back tomorrow and fix it. You have to get it done for the dub, and, mm -hmm. and, and so it was. It was really a great uh, lesson for me, and you know, saying, okay, I have twelve hours. I have to work today, and I have to get this done and tomorrow mm -hmm. to do this it was really great it was you know not it's like it's kind of cool having a real deadline though sometimes I think it's great and that's kind of what I did with this new album but mm -hmm. because I I learned that that the work ethic that okay I have to get this done I can't you know yeah. freeload and I just want to get it done I've, I've kind of found like at least for me sort of self-imposed deadlines it's like you can sit down with like your notebook and go I feel like writing this song let me or you can say okay I've got to write something right. about this by the end of the week or so. And right. that seems to be a good motivator, it I think, good. for a lot of people. Well, that show uh, went to 2004. It was the ninth year of Touch by an Angel. Because mm -hmm. I stayed on after Promised Land mm -hmm. was canceled. And I was what they call the source music supplier. And source music and TV, there's two kinds of music. There's underscore, mm -hmm. and that's what the actors don't hear. It's the dramatic music that plays under. That's what I did for Promised Land. Okay. And then the, the source music is what the uh, actors hear. Like if you go into a, a bar... Oh, okay. In a, in a show... There's the song coming out of the jukebox you're not, or there's whatever. There's nothing there right. during the show. People are walking sure. and dancing like there's music there. Well, yeah. I, I supplied all that music. I would write original music for that. Uh, I, like, what, they would give me a uh, what they call the temp track, 
where they would send me a VHS and they put like uh, you know some famous band on there right. and they go you know we can't do this but can you kind of do something kind of like that so that was a really cool gig because each week it was different mm -hmm. and that went on for four years and uh, then the show was canceled I had a couple uh, pilots what they call when they have new shows they make mm -hmm. a little show and, and I thought I was going to be doing that and a, a guy contacted me about doing a house concert and I hadn't played live for years. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, I'm hearing you on XM Radio all the time. And I go, I don't know what that is. I never heard of it because they just come out. Mm -hmm. It turned out uh, one of the, the main uh, program directors there, uh, Mike Marone, was a huge Batroff and Rodney fan and oh, burned okay. his records into CDs and was playing them all the time. <laughs> so you I mean, never know. Just one thing led to another. You I never know. That's great. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, I got my end with XM and I've done a couple of live concerts mm -hmm. there with... James Lee Stanley was one of the ones I did because mm -hmm. we did an album and they really liked it. And then I did one with Mark Rodney uh, about two years ago. We made it into an album. Mm -hmm. They've been they've been fantastic to me. When I did up my my first solo album, Home Again, they played nine out of the ten cuts on that in regular wow. rotation. That was just freaked me out. I was really ticked off. They didn't play ten out of the ten. <laughs> what was wrong? What with about that one the other song? one? That was it didn't my favorite suck. song. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't play the good one. That was the hit, man. <laughs> back, I was going to ask you, back on the TV thing, I was I always wondering this. In a, say, for example, you're writing a song for a bar scene, and they say it sounds like, they give you like a Fleetwood Mac song and say, right. have it be this tempo, this mood. Um, from the producer's perspective, or maybe from the music supervisor, is it is it easier to have like an original songwriter on staff? Is it cheaper? Or is it mixed? Or is this kind of like, they kind of like... Your maybe they, they like your songwriting. They kind of want that to be sort of a thread through the series, or is it kind of a combination of everything? Well, I was I got a Cush gig. Uh -huh. uh, normally, what they have to do is there's a, there's a ton of music libraries. Sure, they all have CDs. They have country music, rock music, metal right. music, whatever. Every uh -huh. kind of, and then they have like a zillion cuts. So usually they have a, a music editor uh -huh. who will have to go through all those CDs and find a song that works. Well, they they trusted me because they oh, knew I would okay. deliver, and they go, "Hey, well, you want to try Just this write gig? Something. Yeah, we really like what you do." Yeah. And so the, they gave me the first shot at the Touch by an Angel, and it was uh, they wanted music like from um, Horse Whisper. Mm -hmm. So I, I listened to the stuff, and I go, "Yeah, I can do that." So yeah. I, that was my kind of like my, my audition. Yeah. And the, the producer said, "Yeah, yeah." So that just kind of went on and on and on. I worked got to work with. I don't know if you've ever heard Charlotte Church. Yeah, the fourteen year old yeah, yeah. from yep. Wales. It was oh yeah, fantastic! I never heard of her. I thought Charlotte Church was a an R and B mm -hmm. you know black singer. I right. sounded like that kind of a name. I met mm -hmm. this little girl who was my kid's age. Yeah, and she was a fantastic singer. So she sang, and I got to go put the choir in later mm -hmm. and, and do a whole orchestra thing. Oh and it wow! It was great, but it was fun, fun gig. Man. Now she's phenomenal. Oh, and she was so sweet. Mm -hmm. She was great. Her mother was kind of a stage mom, but mm -hmm. that's okay. The kid was okay. Oh, she was great. Yeah, that's neat. So you just found the right the right fit at the right time. Yeah, and that and happens. The, and the thing is, you know, if you deliver, yeah, you're gonna keep getting the gig. And I that when I worked as a composer, I got a salary. Mm -hmm. To when I got this gig as a, a freelance guy, I had no salary, but I made more money hmm. than I made as a composer mm -hmm. because of all the ways you have to build them, and you know, and plus oh. for each piece of music you get on there, no matter how long, you get a certain sync fee, and it was right, a right, great right. gig. I was really bummed when I went home. I have to go hit the road again and play, yeah, and play in gosh, backyards no. and clubs yeah. and restaurants, which is which is okay too. But it's definitely probably 
you know, different, but probably easier just sitting in your, in your, in your home studio, just cranking out songs for a certain project. Yeah. It was a little stressful because of that, the deadline and the crunch. Yeah. Cause you had to deliver. Had to deliver. I mean, I, I, I would spend days in my pajamas. You couldn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I had to block this no. week. And well, know. there was actually a famous line from the first night. Uh, first night I got the show, I had 10 days to write the stuff because mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was the Christmas thing. I took over for this guy and this was for promised land. And, uh, I was really prepared. The producer heard the music. So I went in the studio and you transfer it all onto tape. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a, a certain simpty, uh, 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 which is what kind of locks up everything. There's a simpty uh-huh. code that locks up a picture. And, right. and there's the, at, at Syncs time, it all together. Yes. Yeah. At that time, they were using a thing called uh, this drop frame. And my engineer wasn't sure, so he had it in non-drop. So we got to parts on the song and the music was jumping around. and Because mm. it... It's a long story. It's, mm-hmm. If you read the history of Simpty, which is, I'm sure, very boring for most people. Uh, so I called the producer and I go, I said, Matt, you know, this was the, the dub date was the next day. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, we're really having a problem. You know, blah, blah, blah. This guy did this. And I said, you know, we're really, you know, don't want to use the word, but that word for screwed. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we can't be screwed. I want this here tomorrow morning. Mm. So that was kind of an awakening for me. It was seven at night. We can't not do this. Yes. It, it, so I walked in at eight in the morning with, with the finished tape. We worked all night wow. and got it done and learned a valuable lesson. So A very hardcore deadline. Yeah, it was very tough. I mean, yeah. you, you could not. The only time we ever got, the only time that I ever worked really hard and didn't have to do it was when when uh, the OJ verdict came out. They preempted mm-hmm. Touch by Angel. So another week, week. You had a week reprieve. <laughs> Good old OJ. <laughs> At least he was good what for a guy. And he did the break. Thanks, OJ. <laughs> How funny. Um, so going back, so um, so when you were doing the, the TV work, were you still writing your own stuff and recording, or was that kind of on hold or kind of on the back burner because you were so busy with television? Yeah, it, it. You know what it did? It took up nine months, uh-huh. and the three months that I was off, I didn't want to play. And there was no reason to. I mean, it, you know, before yeah. I heard about XM, why should I write? Mm-hmm. There was really no no audience. There was no way for people to hear it. Yeah, no stations playing it. So I just you know I was just concentrating. You know my my family. I had twin boys. When my wife did, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had a hand in it. You helped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she had twin boys at uh, 1985. So I was just kind of the dad. You had plenty was, going on. Yeah, I was doing the little league thing with the kids. I did. I coached them from eight to 18. Mm-hmm. So that was just kind of the life. I was doing music, you know, mm-hmm. doing singing commercials before that and TV shows. So I, I was just kind of this home guy, yeah. raising a family and, and, and doing music. And I thought that was going to be my gig. Mm-hmm. I had no idea I'd be out doing this again. So when did you become the singer-songwriter again? Well, when James Lee Stanley called me, well, he was a singer-songwriter I met in 1970. Mm-hmm. He called me out of the blue. And two things happened, actually, that turned it around for me. I got contacted by a guy about doing a house concert. Mm-hmm. His name was uh, Pat McNicholas. He was a lawyer in L.A. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that was. So I was just on hiatus. It was like in, uh, like in Thanksgiving weekend. And I wrote him back. I go, yeah, I, you know, I don't really play much anymore. He goes, well, I, got, I, I know I can fill my house, 85 uh, uh, people. And he goes, I don't know what your fee would be. Well, I ended up getting, yeah, it offered me $5,000 to do it. For the night, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, this is silly That's to say no. <laughs> what have I been? What have I been missing? Yeah. So he goes, and, and uh, I said, well, say, I said that sounds pretty cool. Should I, should I you know, bring CDs to sell? He goes, well, how many do you have? He goes, let me just buy those and I'll just give them. So I'm thinking, wow. All right. I guess well, I need about a month to get ready for this because yeah. I I haven't played in front of people and 
So I, the Bad Dwarf and Rodney CDs just came back out on Collector's Choice. So mm-hmm. I started learning the parts again because yep. it's a whole different muscle memory thing. Sure. And so uh, I started learning the songs and, and we set a date and I went there and they had me on this little pedestal and no PA or anything. And, mm-hmm. and I was completely petrified, of course, because I was work, used to working with glass and an engineer going, how'd that sound? You know? Yeah. And all these people were <laughs> just staring at and me. And how long had it been since you'd like gone out and played as yourself in front of a real crowd? Quite a while. 30 years, maybe. Yeah. It's a long time in between doing those kind of mm-hmm. gigs. But uh, it was it's a really magical night. I mean, the, the, they were such big fans. They were singing wow. all the songs with me. Oh, wow. And it just, it, by the end of the night, it was kind of like, it was like, almost like, a, a, you know, this is your life kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, am I dead? Yeah. <laughs> what, what was that? Yeah, and, and I just, I thought. Maybe well, I should be doing this again. That's what I thought was I was driving away. I thought, gosh, this was, that was a real magical feeling for me. Instead of yeah. just being so sterile uh-huh. and just delivering, you know, like a job thing. I was, there was this, this a real magic that went But Which on. is also good and valid, but this was something you hadn't thought about doing, obviously, in a long time. Would have never thought of it. And then ever. I get the call from James about doing this album. I thought, well, I've got a month and, you know, let's try it. Yeah. So that ended up taking six months. Mm-hmm. And XM Radio ended up playing it. It was this album called All Wooden Stones. Oh, that was the Wooden Stones project. And, and, was, I, and you're reading your bio, all of a sudden this morning I realized, oh, you were one of the Wooden Stones guys. So talk about that, because that I've heard that. It's great. Yeah, it's uh, thanks. It, uh, it was an idea that James Lee Stanley had, and he was going to be doing it with a guy from Petaluma, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, George Merrill, who I sang commercials with for years. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife were big songwriters. They wrote How Will I Know by Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. and I Want to Dance with Somebody, and they had a band... They had their own hit. And and James said, you know, I'd like to get a third guy, you know, kind of like the Clevery Sills and Nash kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he says, who do you know that would fit? And he goes, well, there's this guy, John Batdorf. He goes, oh, I met John in the 70s. So he goes, yeah, let's do it. So then George decided he didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So it became a duet. And uh, James and I hadn't seen each other since probably 73. So we met for breakfast and he talked about it. And so I had a couple arrangements and we started making the album. And all of a sudden it was really cool because we had to pick all these songs Mainly from the Brian Jones days, right? When they wrote more pop, yeah, okay. like Ruby Tuesday, Last yeah. Time. Even though they're kind of funky, but they were still had pop mm-hmm. roots, unlike what they you know, went to later. Yeah. So we did this record and we sent it to XM, and they said there's a three month wait before they even listened. Blah blah blah. Well, next hmm. thing you know, it's on the air because Mike Marone was there and saw this album. He goes, "Oh, Batroff did an album." So he, he I gotta hear the, this. He puts on the first cut. He said he took it home with him. And he goes, the first song was uh, Painted Black. He goes, oh, cool. They did a uh, Stones cover on this one. <laughs> Next yeah, you, know, you know, you find those angels along the way and they keep coming back to bat for That's you. That's it. I'm telling you. Then he goes, uh, oh, this is Ruby Tuesday. Oh, wait a second. Then he saw that they were all Stones. He just saw the name. And oh, he did. It. Yeah. So he was great. They played us. and said, come back and do a show for us. And. That's kind of how it started back up again. It was, and I right. went back there and started touring and met all these Badger from Rodney fans and mm-hmm. these great stories that were, were such a trip that they were there and this happened and this mm-hmm. happened this happened. It was great. There's wow. a few I probably wouldn't want to share with you. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It's, so, you know, I'm having really a good time doing it. So you've got a couple. I mean, that's, that's, that's got a big, I think a big following because a lot of people are telling me about it. Have you heard this CD? It's yeah. happened to me three or four times. One guy we played a... We played a Whole Foods opening a few months ago, and they, they paid us real money, which was great. But my friend came on his motorcycle, and he, we got done. He goes, you got to hear this CD. And it was it was Wooden Stones, yeah. and he was blasting it across the parking lot. It was great. Yeah, it's a trip. It was fun. Yeah. It really came out good. It did. It really, it really came out good. Have you talked about another one? Uh, he has. But, yeah. You know, I, I think that maybe we kind of did the best 
big piece mm-hmm. of work we could ever do. And you know, what do you do next? You know, more you, stones. Thinking, you know, more beetles. No, there's no more something. stones. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, you know, now I said really get into a writing spree, and mm-hmm. I just want to do what I wanted to do when I was 17, which is write songs, write songs and sing them. Sing them. Yeah, yeah. So you just released your your second solo CD in a while, Old Man Dream. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. That's my second full-length CD. I yeah. did a, an EP when All Wooden Stones came out. Mm-hmm. And did a full-length CD home again after that in 2006. I'm, I'm looking at all of them on the table in case you can't see it yes. on the podcast. But I, I like how you had an EP and you called it Side One. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like a little record. For those of us old enough to know records, which is most of my listening audience. Yeah, so. Actually, yeah, the labels were about as big as the CDs back then. Yeah, that's true. So the yeah. new record, um, I did I did my home again record. And then uh, I did some gigs. I had Mark Riley join me on a couple of songs. Nice. Was, Home Again was something we recorded in 72, and I had a new version of it, and I said, you know, maybe I should bury the hatchet, and because uh, mm-hmm. most bands don't break up because they're really good buddies, Yeah, you know, things are going really great, right. so they it's, break up because there's a lot it's of... It's time to like move on and do your... It's time to go. Yeah. So I, I, I uh, called him up, we met, and um, I said, you know, I just feel like you're playing a couple of tunes, I think it'd be cool, and he thought it was great, and good. so he came down, and uh, he was supposed to be there a couple days, and after 10 days, I said, you know what? I think uh, I think you're done here. I think you can go back home. <laughs> yeah. He really liked my house. It was great. <laughs> so he went back and he lives in Vegas. And and then people start saying, "Well, gosh, are you guys ever going to play?" So we, yeah. did, we did some shows together, and and then next invited us back to do a, a concert. And we did it, released the album, and, so, mm-hmm. and uh, it was great. It was really cool. But after that, I said, you know, I'm kind of done with this. You know, I did the Stones thing. Mm-hmm. And I've done the Mark thing. I really think now I really know what I what kind of solo artist I want to be. And all of a sudden, it just kind of came together for mm-hmm. me. And that's what this record was. It was I took time from June and July to write all the songs. Mm-hmm. And just, now, were these self-imposed deadlines, or you just sat down and wrote? I said, this is, no, this is, I said, this is going to be right time. So okay. every day in my studio, I went out there, and, you know, sometimes got some ideas, sometimes it wasn't so hot. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I wasn't getting ideas on a song, I, I'd kind of work on the one I worked on that was kind of working, and maybe yeah. change the bridge or whatever. Good. And I had I had um, eleven songs, and as as I as I demoed them, uh, some of them weren't working. There was two songs that I thought, you know, I mm-hmm. hate to have songs that I, I just don't want to hear on the record. So yeah. I said, I think I have to kick these off as much as I hate to. You know, it's it's painful to let songs go because you know when you start the mm-hmm. song, you think it's great. Obviously, yeah, wouldn't think, hey, it's I'm gonna sit down and some terrible song. Yep. So I finally had to let him go, and I got, I think, two of my favorite songs, um, which is uh, Don't Tell Me Goodbye mm-hmm. and Ain't No Way. Mm-hmm. Ain't No Way was actually the last song written, and uh, they were huge improvements over the ones that got kicked off, but most of them were written in a two-month period and demoed, and it took six months to, to do the whole album. That's good. Yeah, it was good, but I mean, it was, it was working every day. Yeah, it was a full-time job for six months. It was, and I had I, I really wanted to bring in a lot of different people. I got to bring in some really cool people. Yeah, it's, a really, it's got a real nice, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. It's a real nice cohesive collection of songs with a nice sort of soundscape that kind of holds it all together. I think that's what happens when you do write all the songs kind of in the same period, too. Yeah. There's this vibe that's coming out of you. you know? Yeah. There's a reason why they're coming out. Versus going back and, oh, this song I wrote five yeah, years ago was good. Exactly. I like this one from last month. Yeah, yeah and, and especially lyrically. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's a really a continuity with, you know, with the mm-hmm. way the, the, the world is now and the country and, and also being a parent. And, you know, a lot of these seem really topical. Yeah, yeah. They, they really are. And yeah. I've never really kind of done that, so there was, there's also that urgency to, like, we need to kind of get it out this year. Yeah, while well, it it's, yeah. well, it's still topical. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Was well, there a couple of things, then. 
Sure. All right. Let's great. do that. Once again, John Batdorf on kind of where he's been and where he's at now with the latest release, Old Man Dreamin'. And I like that conversation about having these songs that are really kind of topical and getting them done and recorded and out on a CD while it's still topical. And Old Man Dreamin' really is a really nice listen. That's the new CD. And uh, you can see influences, see, hear influences. Uh, I hear some Graham Nash, and there's a real Don Henley kind of quality to John's voice. And although as much as I'm a Don Henley fan, I think I like John's songs a little more. It's because he was in my house playing them. But it was a really fun visit. And um, and speaking of sort of 70s songwriters, I have a friend named Guy Smith who I know is listening to this. And um, Guy is sort of a walking encyclopedia of all things 70s singer-songwriter from Southern California type music. And... Um, when I told him I was interviewing John Batdorf, he goes, Batdorf and Rowdy, that's one of my favorite groups from the 70s. And so, Guy, I know you're listening, and uh, John will be back in the Central Coast area on October 24th. He's doing a, a show for True Wind Concerts in Campbell, which is just down from your house, so you have no excuse not to go. But uh, back on this interview, you know how this works. We're not quite done. We're only halfway through our chat with John Batdorf. We're going to close up episode 71 here and then go on to episode number 72 where we'll hear John play a couple of things for us. So if you're uh, up on my site, michaelgaither.com, just click on the next link for episode 72. If you're in iTunes, the next episode will be up in about a week or so. And if you're listening to this on Grateful Dread Radio back in Baltimore, it should be on next Friday evening at 730 if you have any questions about this podcast or comments or just want to say howdy, you can send me an email, michael at michaelgaither.com. And again, that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on Songs and Stories. Thanks for listening. Take care.